calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we're going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. The cliché used to be you get drunk with your buddies and someone says, we should open a bar. Now whenever a group of young or young-minded folks get together and get a little tipsy, it's only a matter of time before someone utters the fateful words, we should start a podcast. Entire careers have been made by those words. Ordinary, unremarkable people have discovered their path to fame and success. But you know what else has been made? Countless, terrible podcasts. You can find them if you know how to look. There are thousands of shows with only one or two episodes, just a couple of friends laughing at their own inside jokes and thinking somehow an audience will materialize from nowhere. It's my job, here at the Zekman Network, to find the diamonds in the rough. To dig up those gems that have a chance to be something beautiful with the right amount of shaping and polishing. It won't be my job for long, though. No, I'm quitting. Just as soon as I'm done writing this, I'm sending my boss an email to tell her I'm done. By the time I'm done talking, you'll understand why. I came across an episode of Home Stay Away during my daily trolling of the internet's dredges. The show's premise immediately captured my attention. These three guys, Jackson, Jamie, and Derek, checked out the most poorly reviewed Airbnbs across the country. They read the most tarnishing reviews, then spent one night at the homestay in question to see if the experience was as bad as the reviewers claimed. Oftentimes, the one-star reviews were well-deserved, and the episodes could be quite comical. The hosts, Jackson, Jamie, and Derek, each had their own distinct personalities and played off each other well. All they needed was someone like me to rein them in, clean up some of the show's rough edges, and get them in front of the right audience. 
I encouraged the guys to start a video version up on YouTube so their audience could see the horrendous conditions, the filthy bathrooms, the strange decor, whatever ugliness waited inside each homestay. I even sent them their first cameras. It didn't take them long to earn enough to upgrade to a full set of audiovisual gear, 4K camcorders, GoPros, lav mics, whatever they needed. The guys were abnormally good on camera, genuinely funny, and the premise was a real winner. We ditched the podcast format altogether because it seemed like Home Stay Away could be a lucrative YouTube channel. Until the Hannibal, Missouri episode. The Hannibal episode was going to be unique because it was the first time the guys found a listing where the property was not the issue. The homestay's owner seemed to be the problem instead. The homestay only had three reviews, all one star. It seemed no one else had wanted to give the house a shot since the last review was posted two months prior to Derek finding this particular listing. And if you read the reviews yourself, you probably wouldn't have wanted to stay there either. I can actually read them to you now. I saved them all, since I anticipate the listing will be removed any day now. Wyatt from Santa Fe wrote in November 2022, I've never been more uncomfortable in my life. The owner threatened me not to come out before my checkout time. I don't think I did anything to upset him. The guy's nuts. Not safe. Wyatt from Santa Fe has good instincts. I would venture to bet he's still alive. Trish from Vancouver also wrote in November 2022, A nightmare. I literally thought I was having a nightmare because the lunatic who owns this place knocked on my door in the middle of the freaking night just to ask me if I'd been in the forest. For real, who would want to go in there ever? Definitely not at night, but apparently he was out there, so dot dot dot. Trish from Vancouver is also likely still alive, seeing as she is among the luckiest women in the world. Judo from Des Moines wrote one month later, in December 2022, I haven't even left yet and I'm writing this review. I'm just waiting for daylight so I can get out of here. There were all these weird sounds coming from the woods, and just when I finally went to sleep, the owner banged on my door so hard I thought he'd break it. I refused to open the door for my own safety, and I guess he went away. I'm calling the cops if he comes back. Please, for the love of God, do not stay here. The guy gave me the creeps earlier, but now I think he's actually dangerous. I'm going to report him. Judo from Des Moines is dead. This is not a prediction. It's a cold, hard fact. I found her obituary, along with a dozen news articles regarding her death and the ensuing murder investigation. Her parents reported her missing after she didn't arrive for Christmas. She had been coming up from Arizona and didn't want to make the whole drive in one day. Her car had been discovered six miles from the Airbnb she had booked in Hannibal. The driver's side of the car was stained with enough frozen blood to imply her fate. The Airbnb owner had apparently been cleared as a suspect, although I found nothing to explain how. When the home stay-away boys brought me the pitch for Hannibal, Missouri, I had some misgivings, I'll say. This guy's listing sounded like it needed to be reported and removed rather than elevated on YouTube. Beyond my concern for the boys' safety, there were ethical issues to consider. Regardless of how strange the guy turned out to be, business would boom for him once the episode dropped, at least for a while. 
The boys assuaged my worries by pointing out there were three of them, and all the bad reviews were left by people who seemingly stayed alone. And they promised if they thought the owner really was dangerous, they would turn over the footage to the police and never air the episode. Consider what I'm recording now a fill-in for the Hannibal episode of Home Stay Away. The episode will never air, but I think everyone needs to know what the footage contains. I must relay the events of Jackson, Jamie, and Derek's final hours so they can have done some good. Maybe their lives can serve as sacrifices to save dozens more. The boys traveled out to Hannibal, Missouri in Jackson's Land Cruiser. Hannibal, you may know, has a good bit of tourist draw thanks to Mark Twain's boyhood home being there. During the busy season, the small town can be quite lively. Our boys went down in February, though, and the town they filmed looked practically deserted. I'll narrate what I saw in their footage. Their GPS keeps them driving right on through until they reach a poorly marked gravel road. The homestay sits alone at the end of a long driveway a mile outside of town. Even for a small town property, this place is remote. The property consists of about three acres of land, the main house at the end of the driveway, and a small cottage in the back. It all sits on top of a horseshoe hill. The land at the property's edge drops off into the surrounding woods. The drop is so steep, I can't see the many trees' trunks, only their spindly, bare tops. The boys get out in front of the main house, a single-story home built like a modern log cabin. Jamie knocks on the door while Jackson stands behind and films. Derek stands behind Jackson with a little GoPro hidden under his jacket. That GoPro is the only evidence we have of their initial interaction with the host, because the second the owner opens the door, he sees Jackson's camera and goes red. Literally and figuratively. The man orders Jackson to stop filming and threatens to cancel their stay if they take any more photos or video on the property. Jackson stops immediately, although it's clear to me he wants to argue. The man then demands to watch him delete the footage. Jackson says, So I guess you didn't read the note I put in when I rented the place. I said we were making a YouTube video. You didn't say that, the man replies. He put his hands on either side of the doorway, and Derek rotates slightly so the GoPro can see him. This shot offers the clearest image of the owner from any of the footage. He looks short, I'd guess right around five feet tall. He's bald on top with short gray hair around the sides. His white beard is trimmed neatly and hides the end of a long scar on his left cheek. It looks like he has cataracts or something. His eyes look faded and dull. But the way they shift to each of the young men on his doorstep tells me he isn't blind. No, I was pretty clear about what we came here to do, Jackson argues. He had a habit of testing people to see how far he could push them. Well, too bad then, the owner says. There's no photography or video allowed here. Your listing didn't say anything about that, Derek says. The man's gray eyes shoot pure hatred toward him. Never thought I'd have to tell guests I don't want to be filmed. This is private property, understand? Private. Jackson starts to say something antagonistic, but fortunately, Jamie interrupts with, Don't worry about it, man. We'll just spend the night and check out the Mark Twain stuff in the morning. That all right? That's just fine. That's the whole point of this place, isn't it? The man seems to cool off now, and he shows the boys to the cottage. 
It consists of a single bedroom, bathroom, a kitchenette, and a small den area. There is no TV, no Wi-Fi, not even a coffee maker or a radio. Jamie asks if the cottage even has electricity. Course it does, the man says, giving him a condescending look as he flips on the lights. Throughout their interaction, the owner looks incredibly uneasy. He studies the three young men. It looks like he's sizing them up, maybe trying to decide what would happen if he came banging on the door in the middle of the night. The boys called me off camera after the owner finally left them alone. They were all huddled in the small bedroom because, according to Derek, they were worried the owner was still outside, listening in. They told me about the gag order the man had put on them and asked if they were allowed to keep filming. What if the guy sees it on YouTube and, I don't know, like, sues us or something? Jamie asked. I did some research and learned that as long as they left the owner himself out of the videos, he couldn't really stop them from filming inside the rented cottage. Besides, Jackson said, not to me but to the other two guys, do you really think that guy watches YouTube? We agreed they would be discreet and that if nothing interesting happened, we would just can the episode to avoid any trouble. I wish I'd told those boys just to come home. I wish I'd been able to sense the danger they were in. Had I been able to see the footage of their initial interaction with the owner, I like to think I would have had the sense to bring them home. But I wouldn't see that footage until weeks later. The following handful of clips are just of the boys messing around in the cottage. They do a quick camera tour of the place, which admittedly looks quite nice. It seems cramped for three young men, but for a solo visitor or a couple, it would be homey. Maniacal owner aside, that is. Once finished inside, Derek straps the GoPro to his chest and zips his coat up to the lens before he and Jackson go outside to wander around the property. They don't talk much, hoping to avoid the owner's attention. Unfortunately, the owner's attention was dedicated to them entirely. Jackson and Derek stand at the edge of the property, looking down the drop into the woods. The slope angles at maybe 75 degrees. Trees grow from the side of the hill with hooked trunks, their roots exposed. Off camera, Jackson can be heard saying, looks straight out of a video game. Derek says nothing. I can see what Jackson means. The way the trees protrude and show their veiny roots does look like something a player would need to scale in an adventure game. Derek turns a little, and for a moment I can see something they miss. There's a place where the moss is rubbed away, and the dirt is packed down. I studied this frame for a while, and I'm pretty sure many of the roots directly beside this worn path are rubbed raw. Get away from there, trespassers, a distant off-camera voice shouts. Derek turns and I see the owner marching toward them. Sorry, man, we thought this was all your property, Jackson says. It sure is, the man huffs as he catches up to them. Which is why you ain't welcome over here. Jackson says, what? Why? The owner practically screams, because I don't want you over here, that's why. Derek starts to say, look, man, I'm sorry we upset you, we'll just... But he is interrupted. Go back to the cottage you paid for the right to stay in. That's all you got rights to out here. Remember that. Jackson, unable to help himself, asks, So who's this belong to? Derek pivots so the camera can see Jackson pointing off into the woods. That's state land. It... Jackson hops off the grass and onto the slope, like a rabbit, grabbing a thin branch to stabilize himself. 
the owner, goes chili pepper red when Derek swivels back toward him. Jackson says, It's not yours, right? Can't make me leave, can you? You're out, the owner says. Wait, no, hang on, says Derek. Let's not... Jackson's just... The owner says, I want all three of you gone in 30 minutes. The blotchy red marks on his neck say he's serious. Come on, don't be that way, Jackson says as he steps back over the property line. If you're going to have so many rules, you should post them up so people can see them. It's not fair to expect us to spend all day in that tiny cottage, is it? That tiny cottage is what you paid me for. Nothing else. As for the so-called rules, they're just common decency. I can tell you boys ain't got none of that, so I want you gone. The vociferous argument draws Jamie out of the cottage. He's less hot than his compatriots and recognizes a lost battle. Rather than try to change the man's mind, Jamie focuses on getting their money back. The owner refuses to refund them at first, then seems to realize it will make them easier to get rid of. That could have been the end of it. If I had been made abreast of the situation, it would have been the end. I know myself, and I know as soon as those guys had told me what had happened, I would have told them to head back home and look for another listing to cover soon. Instead of calling me, the guys held their own little conference. Luckily, they chose to film it. They are sitting in the Land Cruiser, parked, all of their bags stacked up in the back. They had packed up and left the cottage as requested. The view through the windows tells me they hadn't driven far before pulling over. The same types of trees that lined the property lined the road on one side of the vehicle. Jamie, sitting behind Jackson, says, Okay, we're rolling, so what are we going to do now? He's the one filming. Derek in the co-pilot seat says, Dude, that guy was way too intense. Jackson from the driver's seat replies, Did you guys get the feeling he was hiding something? It was really weird how he didn't want us leaving the cottage, Derek says. It made me think about those reviews, Jamie says. One of the ladies said that guy wanted to know if she had gone into the woods. And another person said he told them not to come out, remember? I think they even said he threatened them, Jackson adds. So what's the deal with the woods? asks Derek. They're all quiet for a minute. Hey guys, Jackson says. This is so random, but I actually have a tent in the back. Jamie says, yeah, I noticed that. I mean, it's just like a single-person pup tent, but we're not afraid to get cozy, are we? Jackson asks. Not like we'd sleep much anyway, Derek replies. The corner of a mirthful smile appears on his profile. We could set up camp over here and watch that guy's house from the bottom of the hill tonight, Jackson suggests. Jamie asks, is that legal? You heard him, Derek says. It's state land. What's the worst that can happen? A park ranger makes us pack it up? It's either that or leave. I say we stick it out and see what happens. Oh, Derek. If only you could have been a little more creative with your worst case scenario. Maybe I'd be talking to you instead of your ghost. So they set the plan in motion. They pulled the land cruiser off the road into the trees and disguised it with some old brush and fallen branches. I have to hand it to them. They hid it pretty effectively. Not so effectively the search team wouldn't be able to find it later, but enough so that the average passerby wouldn't notice. Especially a couple of hours later, when it got dark. If you've only ever lived in towns and cities, nighttime in the country is shockingly dark. 
if you're lucky enough to be out there on a cloudless night with anything bigger than a sliver of a moon, you might get some ambient white light, but otherwise, you're operating in pure blackness out there. The sky that night was darkened by wispy cotton clouds which dulled the half-moon, but didn't snuff it out. The bare trees allowed just enough light for the boys to see the space directly in front of them without flashlights, but not much farther. Fortunately, they had utilized the final strokes of sunlight to set up camp roughly, from Jamie's estimation, two miles from the homestay. Hope it doesn't rain, Derek can be heard saying when the camera comes on. I bet it floods down here. The shot is hard to make out without some brightening in post. Obviously, the boys couldn't use any lights without risking discovery. They filmed their entire hike back to the property. I have to give them credit. They were far more capable in the woods than I would have guessed. They didn't seem to use any sort of GPS or map to guide them back. Maybe they were following the road, but this was never mentioned aloud. Soon, the great slope they had looked down earlier rose before them. Over here, Jackson says. He's found a shallower section of slope close to the driveway to the main house. It provides a place for them to view the property while still sitting below eye level. Again, I find myself impressed. If they had come back from Hannibal, I might have suggested the boys start a second channel doing fun private investigations. There wasn't any activity on the property at first. Eventually, the guys shut off the cameras to save batteries. One of them mentions the cold air causing the batteries to drain faster than usual right before the end of the clip. In the next clip, the camera is turned on, pointing directly at the main house. There's a single light on next to the garage. He's coming out one of the boys whispers. I can't tell who. Sure enough, a door swings open and a figure emerges. He's robed and hooded in black, making him practically invisible except for when he's directly beneath the light. In one hand, he holds a long pair of pruning shears pressed against his hip. They're either brand new or they've recently been thoroughly cleaned. A little late for landscaping, Jackson can be heard saying. Someone rightfully shushes him. The image becomes too grainy as the camera zooms in. I think the hooded man reaches back through the door before the light goes out. The man is now invisible, but the door can faintly be heard shutting. Can you still see him? Jamie whispers. Yeah, I got him on night vision, Derek replies. Jamie asks, We have night vision? Yeah, apparently it's one of the camera modes. I just found it, Derek says. I switch over to watching Derek's camera. The night vision mode is, well, it's far from perfect, but at least I can see the hooded man again. In his long robe, he seems to float all the way to the edge of the property, then stops. After a pause, he begins bellowing a long, throaty tone into the woods. After scouring the internet, the closest thing I can find to that noise the man made is something called Tuvin throat singing. It's a guttural sound made deep in the throat by stimulating the false cords that protect your vocal cords. And for a while, this cloaked figure stands at the edge of the woods, clutching his shears and broadcasting his sinister tone into the trees. It's not a loud sound, but a steady one that carries well. He stops only when a similar tone echoes back to him from somewhere down the slope. Hearing this reply, the man steps into the woods. You guys sure we want to do this? Jamie asks. He doesn't get an answer. 
Instead, Jackson asks, Was that another person out there? It's what it sounded like to me, says Derek. He says, I might be with Jamie. Maybe this isn't a good idea. We don't have anything with these cameras, guys, Jamie tags in. If we need to defend ourselves, we're screwed. Ooh, you're right, Jackson's reply is dripping with sarcasm. We don't stand a chance against garden shears, do we? He does not receive the hushed laughter I'm sure he expected. No, for real. It's Derek speaking again. What if there's more people out here? What if they find our camp? Or the car? Jamie swears. Jackson hisses. Are you being serious right now? We're already out here and we just caught this creepy dude walking into the forest in the middle of the night making animal noises. This is gold, man. If he or whoever else might be out here sees us, we'll just book it back to the car and lock ourselves in. We can ditch the tent. I don't care. There's an uncomfortable silence as the other boys consider plans that would have saved their lives. But unfortunately, they listened to Jackson. With all of their cameras set to night vision, they slowly, quietly, moved down the slope in the direction the man disappeared. Wait, wait, hold up, Derek orders. He's walking in front. He puts his hand back, palm out, to halt the other two in place. Something moves up ahead, but the crappy night vision doesn't capture a clear image. Even when I brighten and sharpen the picture, it's just a blur traveling between trees. What is it? Jamie asks. Derek says, I thought I saw something, then shakes his head. Guess these woods are getting to me. Keep going, we're going to lose him, Jackson says. So they continue. Their heavy breathing and their shoes chewing leaves are the only sounds for the next handful of minutes. Suddenly, Jamie's camera drops so it's pointed at the ground. There's a scuffle. From Jackson's angle, I can see Jamie lunged forward to grab a hold of Derek's jacket and pull him back. Careful, guys, don't be too loud, Jackson admonishes. Jamie slaps a hand over Jackson's mouth. He leans in so close that he smothers the camera. He can barely be heard saying, They're right over there. Who? Derek asks. He's squinting into the darkness. Jamie points at his camera and Derek hesitantly raises his own. Then his jaw slackens. His eyes widen. His lips tremble. I switch to Derek's camera and see six figures dressed exactly like the homestay owner, all holding various sharp objects. They are all standing in a row next to a sharp crack in the earth. It's wide enough to swallow a man. From Derek's angle, I can't tell how deep it goes. It doesn't look man-made to me. Maybe it was once an underground stream and the ground above it collapsed. With a rustle of leaves, a seventh figure appears. The homestay owner. His pruning shears are still tucked under one arm. Curtis? One of the men across the fissure barks. Welcome, brother. Are we set to begin? A different man asks. Grunts of approval answer. The boys are silent throughout this interaction, although they occasionally turn their cameras to capture each other's astounded expressions. I can see them wondering the same things I did the first time I reviewed the footage. Is this a cult? A religious group? A secret society? The centermost man across the fissure stretches one hand out over the void and drops something inside. A long moment passes, followed by a loud pop. On camera, it sounds like a burst of static. 
wisps of smoke rise from the crack. Each man, in turn, then copies the first, dropping their smoke bombs into the crack and watching the smoke rise. After the final pop, six of the men begin throat singing in unison. The seventh, the one in the middle, says, Tonight, we grow closer yet to the holy world below. We welcome those beneath and wish to be welcomed ourselves when our time above draws to a close. There's a low rumble. I've isolated it to determine its source. I want to believe it's a plane flying overhead or maybe a passing train in the distance. It has that sort of resonant quality. But Derek turns his camera to look at Jackson and Jamie, and if that sound was anything they recognized or could explain, they would not have had the ghostly looks of terror on their faces. Jamie leans into Jackson's ear again and says, We need to go. Whatever this is, we shouldn't be near it. He inhales sharply when the throat singing stops, as if in response to his words. But there was no way the distant men could have heard him. I don't think. For a few seconds, all seven hooded figures remain perfectly still. They're waiting, I think. When nothing happens, the center man says, Jacob. Another man, presumably Jacob, steps forward holding a garden hoe like a staff. He doesn't look at the others. He reaches under his robe with his free hand and produces a limp squirrel. The other six men step back, away from the fissure. Jacob lays the squirrel down, tips his head back, and makes a strange barking sound. And with no hesitation whatsoever, he heaves the garden hoe up over his shoulder and brings the blade down on the squirrel's neck. He rushes forward, leaving the hoe behind, and scoops up the beheaded animal. He holds it by the tail over the fissure. The blood which spills from its severed neck shows up black on the cameras. Jacob pours it out until there's nothing but drips left. Then he finds the head and throws the poor creature into the crack. He steps back and another man steps forward. This man has a dead hamster and a rusty, foot-long segment of pipe. He places the hamster on the ground, puts one end of the pipe vertically over the rodent's head, then stomps on the other end. He repeats the blood-draining ritual and tosses the hamster's corpse into the crack. Each man in turn produces a small animal, some likely hunted from the woods, others apparently purchased from a pet store. Each man beheads his creature in his own way, but all drain the blood and dispose of the animals the same way. When it is Curtis's turn, he doesn't move. Curtis? The center man asks, where is your tribute? I must apologize, brother. I expected to bring an eminent tonight, but... You do not have a sacrifice, brother? Jacob asks. I didn't have time. There are murmurs amongst the others until the center man raises a hand to silence them. Let us not forget Brother Curtis is the only one among us who's produced an eminent sacrifice before. He has missed this opportunity but I'm sure he will have another. There's an implied threat in the man's voice. That's right, Zeke. I already have another booked, says Curtis. But what do we do tonight? Asks an unnamed man. We've only brought six tributes. They will be patient, I think, says Zeke. He continues to speak, but Jamie's voice covers up whatever he says. Guys, we need to go right 
Now. Shh, I think they're almost done, Jackson pleads. Derek says, no, Jamie's right. I think one of us was supposed to be whatever an eminent is. Psh, no way, dude. All those other guys just brought little animals. A human would be a pretty big leap. This was said by Jackson. Ignorantly blissful Jackson. Think about it, Jamie whispers. They said he's the only one who's brought an eminent before. Remember that one reviewer who they never found? The chick from Des Moines, right? Derek asks. Yeah, dude. How much you want to bet she's down in that crevice? Jackson smiles and shakes his head. But then his face changes. It looks like Jamie's words slowly sunk in. All at once, he's as serious as the other two. Yeah. Yeah, okay. It's all coming together now. Jeez, do you think this is why he was knocking on the door in the middle of the night? Yeah, obviously, Derek says. It probably took him a couple of times to realize he could just use his guests as sacrifices instead of worrying about them spying on him. Des Moines girl was the last review, Jamie whispers. But his eyes suddenly expand and his voice rises to a shout, Run! Only one camera, Jackson's, catches what Jamie saw. All seven hoods had turned toward them. When Jamie yells, the figures split off in seven different directions. And some of them possess the speed of young men. Get the keys ready, Derek can be heard yelling over the guy's pounding footsteps, breaking branches and smashing leaves. How far are we from the car? Jackson yells. Don't let them hear us talk about the car, Jamie warns. Their cameras are mostly pointed at the ground. Occasionally, one of the guys raises one to scan the woods around them, likely hoping the night vision will reveal what they can't see in the pitch-dark woods. Derek screams wetly. Jackson and Jamie stop. Jackson raises his camera, probably by instinct. Derek is levitating. His feet point limply toward the ground. The hooded man behind him looks just like a shadow. The tines of a pitchfork are barely visible, protruding from Derek's heaving chest. He tries to say something, mouthing final words that will never be heard as blood splashes out of his mouth. Jackson rushes forward, but Jamie stops him. Jamie, always the brightest of the three, recognizes that there is no hope for their friend, but thinks he and Jackson still have a chance. They keep running together. Their microphones pick up more sounds, more footsteps, distant, but closing in. How much farther? Jackson demands. He sounds out of breath. It shouldn't be... <clears throat> Jamie is cut short. He gurgles. Jackson can be heard screaming. His camera lands on the ground where it points uselessly at a tree. Jamie's camera is hanging from his neck, pointed down at his stomach, where a pair of pruning shears closed blades are protruding. Jamie wraps his hands around the blades as blood bubbles in his throat. The blades open, forcing his hands apart. Blood sprays from Jamie's opened stomach, and he falls forward. His camera stays on, but shows nothing but the blackness between his corpse and the dirt. Jackson's camera, pointed at the tree, captures only the audio of his fate. Since not one of the bodies have been found, I don't know what was used to kill him, but it sounds slow and excruciating. There are other sounds, but nothing clear enough to make out. Jackson's camera 
runs out of battery four minutes later. So I know what you must be thinking. With all of this evidence, with the murders clearly caught on camera, with some of the killer's names even spoken aloud and recorded, why am I warning you not to stay at that property in Hannibal? Why haven't these men, Curtis, Jacob, Zeke, been arrested and charged with Jackson, Jamie, and Derek's murders? Why is the listing still there? Well, the local authorities found the cameras after they found the car. They turned them over to me after reviewing them upon my request. After I watched the footage for the first time, I asked them why they didn't immediately arrest Curtis at the very least. They told me there wasn't enough evidence. They told me lots of people are named Curtis. I told them not that many people could be named Curtis in tiny little Hannibal, Missouri. They told me Hannibal gets a lot of tourists, with plenty of Curtises among them. We went back and forth like this for a long time. Curtis was, in fact, the name of the homestay owner. It was, of course, certain he had been the one holding the pruning shears. But do you know what I think? I think at least one, and maybe a few, of those hooded men work for the very agencies that investigated the murders. I think they only returned the footage to me as a warning. A warning to leave them alone, or else. I think they want to lure in more eminence. And they want me to know there's nothing I can do to stop them. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at thewarningwoods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the warning woods. Thank you for listening. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.